Welcome back to season five of That's What She Did podcast. We're dedicated to amplifying the voices of the women leaders, innovators, and rebels you don't already know. We highlight everyday women who are impacting today's social issues while also centering the voices of women of color. In short, we curate the stories of brilliant women. This season, we're bringing you Women Who Disrupt. Each episode, you're going to hear from an impactful and inspiring woman push your thinking, challenge your assumptions, and most importantly, inspire you to find a way to create impact in your corner of the world. I'm Tangier Renee, creator and host of That's What She Did. Thank you for joining me and your fellow inspiration junkies as we learn from and connect with today's brilliant women. Hey friends, it's me, your host, Tangie Renee, and I just want to say it's Friday, so congratulations, we've made it through another week. I know things are rough and crazy and unsettled with the pandemic happening, and we're all just figuring it out and doing the best that we can. And I just want to say, good job. I want to say thank you for listening. I know that you could be spending your time doing any number of things right now, and I appreciate you so much for tuning in to That's What She Did podcast week after week. After surveying our audience we have decided that we are going to continue with our scheduled shows as planned. So we're not going to do any specific pandemic or coronavirus episodes from here on out. We're just moving forward as if, because we know that a lot of people are depending on us to be a source of inspiration, to have something to look forward to at the end of the week that's uplifting, that's an opportunity to learn something and learn about someone new. So we are happy to provide that show. This week, I want to introduce you to our guest. That's Denise Hamilton. She's the founder and CEO of Watch Her Work, a learning platform for professional women and the leaders who support inclusion. She's a consultant and media personality who has presented to Fortune 500 companies, nonprofit organizations, educational institutions, professional organizations all over the U.S. She's also currently the host of Lifetime's Project Comeback. She has over 25 years of executive experience at companies like AOL and CBRE, and she's just all around an amazing leader. And we are going to talk to her this week about what she's disrupting. She's in the mentorship space, and she is disrupting mentorship by democratizing it and creating ways to make it easier for women professionals, wherever they are in their career, to get the support that they need to really expand and grow. I'm excited to have this conversation with her. I hope that you enjoy it as much as I do. And again, thank you for tuning in and listening to us. And thank you for continuing to support this show. I appreciate you so, so much. Well, all right, then let's get started. Welcome to the show, Denise. I'm so happy to have you here. I am over the moon to be here with you. Thank you. You know, you are um, unique among our guest lineup this season. Well, I I would argue that all of our guests are unique, and that's why they're on the show. But 
<laughs> we haven't had really anybody that's doing what you're doing. And that's why I'm really excited to have you on and have this conversation around disruption and mentorship and the achievement gap for women and what does it all mean and where is it all going and why does it even matter? Well, I'm thrilled to talk to you about it. It's my favorite subject in the world. <laughs> Wonderful. So you are the founder of an organization or platform called Watch Her Work. Let's get started by just telling us what is it? It is a digital platform with one central goal. We help working women go further, faster. That's the goal. Um, I have been in corporate America and in entrepreneurial pursuits for over 25 years. And um, because I was the only African-American or the only woman in all of these different situations, I became a lightning rod mm -hmm. for mentees. Everybody wanted to pick my brain. Can I take you to lunch? Can we grab coffee? And it occurred to me as I was talking to my peers that um, also were successful, CFOs, um, general counsels, that they were having the same pressure, mm -hmm. right? They, it's like how, we don't get to see our own kids. How do we get to be in charge of equality, right? <laughs> right? And it was like this small group of women that had each 500 other women that were trying to get their time and, try, and they wanna help, like how, how can you help in a substantive way when you have such an incredible demand? Mm -hmm. um, and so literally, I felt like there had to be a way to leverage technology to solve this problem. So I turned on the camera and started filming. Mm -hmm. I started filming women, filming their answers to all of these questions, because I really believe that no one has the answers to all of these questions, but together we all do. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, I have a fundamental belief that mentorship is broken. And um, Watch Your Work is my answer to that, um, and both in an online and an offline way of supporting women in, by giving them the information they need when they need it, how they need it. We have about 7,000 videos right now with the goal of 20,000 by the end of 2020, including Watch Your Work in Espanol that's going to mm. launch in May. And it's really simple. It's how do I tell my boss I'm pregnant? What do you do if a client hits on you? You slept with John in accounting and now he's telling everyone, what do you do? <laughs> I cried in a meeting. Who do I, like all of those questions that quite frankly, maybe you don't have anybody to ask, mm -hmm. right? So you can't find one mentor. Watch Your Work gives you access to hundreds. That's what we're doing. Why would you say that mentorship is broken? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons that the current model doesn't break. So the first one I've already addressed, right? It's just supply and demand. There just are not enough women to match the hordes of women. And it, I'm excited that we have so many women behind us that are like getting into the workforce and climbing up in these organizations. But we still have an average of one, two, three women in these key leadership roles. Mm -hmm. it, it's just, it's not sustainable. And then there's, um, you know, the wonderful corporate matching programs, right? Where they match you with this, you know, wonderful hotshot woman in your company. Are you really going to call her and say, I cried in the meeting yesterday? No, you're not. <laughs> you're not because it's, I'm going to be taxed, right? I'm going to be punished, but guess what? I still need that information. And if I don't get it, 
I, I may zig instead of zag. And that's where this kind of falls apart. If I don't have a comfortable place that I can access this information, I'm just not going to have it. And I'm flat. I'm not moving up. And I don't even know why, because I don't have that resource. So what do we do? We start asking our friends, our friends that work in retail, our friends that they don't know how to negotiate severance. They've never been in that environment. Or we ask our family who loves us, but they don't know anything about this environment. And I always say, don't ask amateurs for expert testimony. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we're doing, creating this false environment of, quite frankly, the wrong advice, right? And so another thing about mentorship that's really interesting is everybody tells you to get one. Everybody wants one. But nobody actually seems to have one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really small group of women that actually have them, right? And who are those women? They're the pretty girls with the sparkly hair and the perfect teeth. Mm -hmm. They're going to get a mentor, right? We cannot afford to just develop five, eight, 12% of women. We need a way that every woman can be developed. Um, I love Sheryl Sandberg. But she and I are not the same. Mm -hmm. We are different and our lives are different. So we can get all of our professional advice from someone with one perspective, right? We have to make sure that we can democratize access to this information, democratize this mentorship structure in a way that women can really access, right? Let's be honest. Work is different if you're pretty, if you're not, if you're tall or you're petite, mm -hmm. if you're heavy, if you're Asian, if you're black, if you're extrovert, if you're introvert, there's so many different ways that work can be different. How can we get all our advice in one or two places, mm -hmm. right? So it's critical that you have access to all kinds of women and all kinds of perspectives to really fully grow. So that's another space. The other space I think mentorship is really tough for women is time. I don't know about you, but I, I just, I don't have time. And again, some of these situations, um, John just took my idea and passed it off as his own. Mm -hmm. I have to go into a meeting tomorrow and I need to know what to do. I can't wait two weeks from Tuesday or four weeks from next Monday to meet with my mentor. But the reality is nobody is on demand for you when you have these situations that come <laughs> come at work. Right. So we tried to create an just-in-time, on-demand environment that you might get a different, a bunch of different um, perspectives, but you're at least getting something to contemplate right now before you have to go into that situation tomorrow. And if you need to do that at three o'clock in the morning, because that's when you put the kids down and you did all your stuff and you're just staying up watching videos. And we do have a lot of women that do that. <laughs> um, that's okay. The other thing is, you know, I think that we are not training people how to be a good mentee and how to be a good mentor, mm -hmm. right? Um, I know I have a lot of people that are like, hey, Denise, will you mentor me? Can, you, can I take you to lunch and pick your brain? And then I sit down with them and they're asking me a bunch of questions they could have Googled, mm -hmm. right? Like they don't really know what to ask me. And so I feel like by doing this, we create a space that you can get those preliminary questions answered. So when you do get in front of a mentor, you're asking the real stuff. You're going a little bit deeper. You're asking the stuff that's really going to move the needle. Um, also, if, if you come to me and ask me for advice and then you don't take my advice, I may be a little bit low key angry with you, right? But you may not be ready mm -hmm. yet to do what I'm telling you to do. So it causes, it can cause a fracture in the relationship. 
listen, if you want to come to watch her work and watch that video on how to um, ask for a raise 50 times, I don't care. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bother me one bit. It, it's totally up to you. It's totally on your schedule. So we just try to like address like all of the little things that make mentorship hard. Right. And so hopefully we've done that. (laughs) I know in your work, you talk about disrupting the field of mentorship and how it's discussed. What does that actually mean? I think that we talk about it in these really idealized terms that causes a lot of feeling of inadequacy. Um, I speak all over the country and sometimes, you know, audiences as big as four and 5,000. And so afterwards, a line of women will be waiting to talk to me. Right. And I have to tell you, 60%, no exaggeration. Um, I'm afraid to start. I don't know. You know, I, I'm worried. I'm worried I'm not going to do a good job. I'm not good enough. And I feel like a complete failure because I can't find a mentor. I can't convince anyone to mentor me. That makes me really sad that that's how women frame it. It's not that there's a supply and demand problem. It's not that executives have limited time so they can only afford from a time expenditure to mentor a few women. It's that they process it as something's wrong with me. That's why I can't find a mentor. I want to I rephrase that. I want to reposition that and just create access to the information. Mm-hmm. There was a time where if you wanted to be a plumber or a carpenter, your dad had to be a plumber or a carpenter. It's not like that anymore. You can read a book, you can mm-hmm. watch a video, you can take a class. Why is this information any different? Why is it a secret how you negotiate severance? Why is it a secret how you get heard in a meeting? Let's just capture that information, make it more readily available. So when you talk about what a mentor is, it's really that deeper level of specificity about your career in that environment, in that um, organization. Um, so I just want to rephrase it and take away the the, the shame, the embarrassment, the disappointment, the feeling of failure, because mm-hmm. I don't think it's a failure. I think it's a numbers game. Mm-hmm. Hey, friends, this episode is brought to you by Trade and Travel, a game changing online course created by our episode one guest, Terry Egioma, founder of Invest with Terry. Terry is on a mission to teach at least a thousand people how to make a thousand dollars per day. Imagine what you could do with an extra $1,000 in a month, let alone making that much in a single day. That's why I'm excited that Terry has made her game-changing program, Trade and Travel, widely available. I'm going to take the course and you can take it too. All you have to do is use the link in the show notes to get access to the course now. Let's learn how to make $1,000 in a day together. I mean, who couldn't use an extra $1,000? I know I can. I mean, who am I? Mike Bloomberg? Of course I could use an extra $1,000. People who have taken the course are actually able to quit their jobs so they can travel the world with all the money they've made learning how to master the stock market. And I'm not ashamed to say that I want that life. You guys, let's trade and travel together. Just click on the link in the show notes and get started now. Use link bit.ly forward slash she did invest to learn how to get started with trade and travel. When I think of a, a mentor, mentorship, um, I'm almost like, what exactly is the model? And by that, I mean, like, I've always thought of it as a, 
a money thing. It's a class thing. It's like people who came from wealth had mentors. They were being cultivated. They were being groomed. But if you didn't have wealth, you didn't come from a wealthy community, then you didn't have access to those kinds of resources. So are we in this place where the, the model of mentorship is around class and economics and that's what needs I- to change? I think it's about access. Mm -hmm. It's purely about access. So wealth and economics is a part of that part of the country that you live in. If you live in it's bits, Iowa, you may not, you don't know a woman that's a VP of anything, Mm -hmm. right? Like that doesn't mean you're not ambitious. It doesn't mean you don't have dreams and you don't have, um, you know, aspirations. It doesn't mean that, but so it's a really about access, right? Um, how do I get to a woman that's a partner in a law firm so I can learn how to be a partner in a law firm? Like, what is that process? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in those um, upper income communities, that access is just easier. You know, yeah. my friends are going to connect me. It's just like great internships and great opportunities. It's the same deal. So if I'm from definitely from a, a different culture, I'm from a different ethnic group, I'm going to be challenged. And then you have the other problem where, you know, because there's one black woman in leadership, you think that's the only woman that can mentor you. Right. No, it's not. Anybody can mentor you. So how do we build relationships cross-culturally and how do we tap into those broader, wider networks? I don't know that those skills are what we're teaching. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the things that we talk about at Watch Your Work. Like you can learn from anybody. Really, you can get on YouTube and you can learn from Oprah. You can watch every video that Oprah ever did. You really can. Or these major gurus, these major speakers. So I think it's like, it's rejecting kind of this sense, this model that we have in our head that it's really someone else's model. Mm-hmm. Let's reinvent and make our own. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating to me. I was just thinking, as you were talking through that, I was thinking about my own like mentorship journey. And I, I got lucky out of college. Like I scored this awesome internship and then I was working for a a city council woman in the internship and she became like my mentor. She was like, I am going to like, I'm going to take care of you. And she did like, she really for years was my go-to person. And so I, I guess, I think I have a question around levels of mentorship. So like my experience with that person who's still a good friend and somebody I'll love forever in my life was one level of mentorship. And what I found is I moved through my career, I would sometimes get lucky. There would be somebody that was like, okay, don't worry, I got you. You know, just go here, talk to this, that kind of person. But then you reach a point where, maybe people are starting to come to you and ask you questions. And then at that point, I think sometimes it's a little hard. And in my own experience, I was like, okay, so so like, where do I go to level up now? (laughs) Like, I'm not 101. I'm maybe not 102. Maybe I'm level three, four, and five. And I'm somewhere in this gray area. And what does it look like for a woman who has achieved in her own right and doesn't know what the next steps are to find those connections in those relationships to level up. I love this question because it's one I get asked all the time. People assume that when I start to talk about watch your work, that this is for early career women. Mm-hmm. And it 
It really isn't. It's actually less for early career women than it is for later career women. Because the truth of the matter is a woman is statistically more likely to have a mentor when she's just starting out than as she moves up. So you can have somebody that's going to help you find the bathroom, but who's going to help you find the boardroom? Right. Right. And we need that support as well, which is why capturing this advice from these women at all levels of the organization who are doing all levels of different activities and answering questions and managing things. I mean, even like one of the most popular subjects on our site is I make more money than my husband. Mm. It's causing just causing stress <laughs> in our relationship. Where are you going to have those kinds of conversations and to watch women talk honestly about, you know, I'm I'm the breadwinner. My husband stays at home. Right. Well, how, how does that work? And where do the stressors come in? And I think there are so many topics. I always say I'm not for like the baby employee. Mm. And definitely that's a, that doesn't mean they can't get value from the site. Um, I'm for the people that have bumped their head, Mm -hmm. the people that have hit that ceiling, that have ping ponged on the wall of the boardroom. And they're like, oh, wait, this isn't as easy or as egalitarian as I thought it was. Because I think coming straight out of college, you kind of have this feeling like, okay, I can navigate this. We're all equal. I got an A. He got an A. Let's go get this. And it's not really until you go through the workspace for a little bit that you're like, oh, wait, there's a difference here. That's when, that's my sweet spot. Mm -hmm. Those are my people. The people that hit the problem who are like, everything was great until I had kids. Everything was great until my mom got sick and nobody expects my brothers to take care of my mom. Mm -hmm. They expect me to take care of my mom, right? It's when you hit those life hurdles and we want to be a resource and a support for those women because you're a hundred percent right. There's kind of no place to go. Mm -hmm. If you if you go to the web right now, and look at career advice for women. Everything is what pieces should be in your capsule wardrobe, <laughs> questions to ask on an interview. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, seeing they're this really basic rudimentary stuff. Where do I go to get advice of what do I do when I have a miscarriage and everybody in my office knows and I'm going back to work? How do I set the stage to put that behind me and move forward in my work? Right. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stuff that we want to talk about at Watch Her Work. These weird situations, these unusual, really difficult and kind of personal um, topics that, that you can explore quietly, safely, privately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that by doing that and creating this kind of a little bit of anonymity. Yes, we want intimacy. Everybody wants intimacy, but not for everything. <laughs> there are times that it's good. I just want to know the recipe for the pound cake. <laughs> Look it up. What's the recipe? Eggs, butters. Got it. And I can go and do, I just need to hear somebody talk it through. Right. And that's the place that we want to meet people. So watch your work is for all levels of career women, um, very intentionally, very deliberately. And I'll, and I'll say something about that, that I think is a really critical element to the challenges that we're having in the workforce right now. Two major sociological changes have happened. Mm -hmm. We don't tend to live geographically close to our families and we don't go to church anymore. Mm -hmm. The impact of that is we don't know people of different age groups. We know our friends, Mm -hmm. we know our friends' kids, maybe our friends' parents, maybe. But we don't know toddler, babies, toddlers, kids, 
junior high school students, high school students. And the cost of that is we don't have the full spectrum of wisdom, of engagement. I mean, how many people have a 70-year-old woman they could sit down and just ask them, you know, I'm making more money than my husband. How do you think this should go? Like really talk and understand. We don't have those networks anymore. And so one of the most interesting um, dynamics that I've seen develop on the site is, you know, we marginalize women after 45. We just push them to the side. If they start looking older, we push them to the side. Well, now that watch your work, we put them right dead center. Because guess what? Those are the chicks that know where the bodies are buried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they know what's happening. And it's really powerful for me to watch the younger women watching the older women, watching their videos, like the, our, our older women on the site are, are some of the highest ranked mm-hmm. in views. Um, and I love that, restoring that kind of intergenerational dialogue that I think is kind of lost in our day and age. I think that's that's fascinating. And I was actually thinking about this exact topic the other day because I was like, there's... Um, this thing, somebody said something to me, I'm working on this partnership thing, this event, and somebody was like, oh, it's, it's great. You're still young. And I was like, well, I'm not that young. Like I'm almost 40. (laughs) I'm not that young. I was like, but I feel good. Like, I feel like I'm just, I'm just beginning to understand my own potential. And I didn't feel this way in my twenties. I didn't feel this way in my early thirties, even now that I've, I'm officially hitting in like my late thirties. I'm like, I sort of kind of feel like I know what I'm kind of starting to do now. Like I know myself in a new way. And so I was thinking, why is it good that I'm younger than some of the other women that are in this space as well? Why is that good? What, what does, if anything, I want to know who the other women are that have been doing this longer because to be somebody who's like a solopreneur building something on their note is very isolating. And well, you know, so it's like, I'm like, wait, what, do, what does that mean? And how do we change that dynamic? Because I think that on its own is very disruptive to be like, no, you're not irrelevant. <laughs> You are not irrelevant. And I'll go one better. You're pushing, you're coming up on 40. I will be 50 in um, October of this year, but I have a baby face. Yeah. (laughs) And I can tell you the ageism that I observe in the process of this. Like, that's why I'm so absolutely obsessed with making sure we're capturing wisdom from these older women, Mm -hmm. because it's like, do you want to know the answer or do you want to have her in a cute little package with a cute little logo? Right. right. Like anybody can, there's a difference in, in our, and it's a, it's a, it's a kind of flagship element of our time. It's like a defining characteristic. We have substituted knowledge for wisdom. Mm-hmm. And what one of the things I want to do is bring back wisdom, <laughs> how you should talk through things, how you should think about it. And I think that really comes as you start to get a little bit older. Um, I think there's amazing. I've got young people on my site. You know, we've got people that are 24 and they're managing 25 people like they're killing it. They're doing an amazing job. But I think that there's a deep wisdom that we miss out on when we marginalize women. And if we don't kind of normalize that and make sure that all of this wisdom is brought to bear Mm -hmm. on behalf of each other, we're the only ones that suffer. Because believe you me, the guys are going to get the gray hair. They're sitting with the older guys and they're getting 
relationships and they're getting those connections. And we're simply not doing that. So if we don't do that with our assets, our women who are higher up in these organizations, who who's going to do it? Mm-hmm. Where are we going to get it from? Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right. The ageism that I get to... I get to sneak in and be a spy because they think I'm younger than I am and hear people talk about it. And it's like, it's so good. You can do this and you're so young. And it's like, why is young valuable? Right. Why do we elevate that? I feel like Um, young is, is green. Like you don't, I didn't know anything in my twenties and, and I, I did, you know, I did well, I, I managed to like get into some leadership positions, but I've really noticed it now, now that I'm in my, you know, latter part of the thirties and People tend to think I, I look younger than I actually am. So they'll they'll make that comment to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I don't I don't agree with that because I was an idiot in my 20s. I did a lot of stupid things. I hadn't I didn't know enough. It's just like it's an experience thing. You didn't have enough life experience yet. And I think there's something to learn from everyone, right? If if you are um, going through in vitro mm-hmm. and how you manage that at work, uh, if you're 25 or if you're 45, like how was that experience? What happened? Like there's something to be learned from everyone. I think the problem is not so much like, I, I don't have any desire to put down younger people. Right. I just want to elevate our older women and make sure we're tapping them and we're asking them. We need all the players on the field. Yeah. Every single one. And you can't afford to just ignore this wisdom. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really excited to be able to create this platform where even though you don't know anybody who is of that age level or in an age group, I'll bring them to you. Mm -hmm. You know, and because the reverse is true, right? It's good for older women to go and see, okay, well, what are these young folks doing? How are they thinking about this? How is this different? And I'll I'll tell you an interesting factoid that we're always thrilled about. Our audience is 17% male. What's that about? Yeah. And it's because I think it's men that are trying to understand women. They're trying to see how do they think, you know, what do they care about? And I think that's really such a fantastic development, like to see that they care enough to lean in and spend some time getting to know us and getting to know mm-hmm. how to work with us. I, I just think that's an interesting great. point um, because I was checking our analytics recently for the show and I realized that about 15% of our listeners are men. And I was like, that's fascinating because they're silent. Like I never hear from them. I'm like never, like <laughs> they're not on social media and nothing, but they're 15% of the audience is consistently downloading the show and listening. And it's, I think it's an, it's interesting related to what you're doing because I think it sort of speaks to the differences in how men connect and become mentored versus women. How do you see that playing out differently between genders? Well, I definitely think that um, men of color tend to have a lot of the same issues that we have, Mm -hmm. right? As women, they just tend to have the same barriers of like, how do I penetrate these networking circles? How do I establish a bond with somebody that I really have a fundamental, we we come from a totally different background, right? Um, I think we underestimate the fact that culture is shorthand, right? Right. If I went to this school, I know these kinds of people, I've joined this kind of organization. I I know what a Tory Burch flat is. You don't have to explain it to me. I know what an AKA is. You don't have to explain it to me. But if you weren't a part of those networks, I, it's going to take a thousand words with you. It only takes 50 words with him. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes me gravitate towards people that are really like me. And so that's a hard 
You know, that's a hard hurdle to believe. And I think that's really what people come to watch or work for, even if they're male. Mm -hmm. Like, they're like, how do I do this? And what are some different strategies? And also, I think, like, you know, men have their own challenge, right? Um, It's hard to be a beta male. You know, it's hard to be um, soft spoken or to not be like super outgoing. I think that they have um, some different characteristics and this can this content is equally valuable to them. Um, But I think that that generally um, we are the ones that are having and and there's a couple other factors. We generally have primary care of kids, of family members. So after work, I don't really have time to go to the bar and have two drinks with you. I got to go home because I have my other job that I got to do. So there's a lot of factors that make it harder for us. Um, And also there are so many of these um, constructs that are calcified. The company takes a hunting trip every year or the, you know what I mean? Like these things that everybody's all, they've been doing it for 20 years. They don't have that for me. You know, so you're building it from nothing. So I think there's a lot of factors that make kind of finding a mentor just so much more difficult for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have the male listeners. I think that some of these problems are things that we all need to be working on. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, like I said at the beginning, my goal is to help women go further faster. And that's only better if we have male allies and partners. Mm-hmm. Do you see differences in how mentorship plays out for women of color versus white women? I do. I do. I think um, a couple key differences that, that are my observations. Take this with a grain of salt, but Girl, spill I the tea. That, That's what we're here for. <laughs> I think that um, women of color tend to operate with a higher level of expectation. Mm. They come into an organization, and you work as you're working as a leader in that organization. It's you're supposed to mentor me. Hey, Denise. I just started working here. I'd love to connect and have lunch or whatever, you know, and, and they take it personally when you don't respond. They sometimes tend to be a little less aware of the demands of you as a full person, right? It's like, you're black, I'm black, you're supposed to help me. And it's like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> you're black, I'm black, but so are 400 other people at this company. And so are the women at this. And so are the, like, there are a bunch of people that are pulling on me and I still am at the tip of the spear of my career. And I'm just, sometimes I'm barely keeping my head above water. Um, I find that to be less true of um, white women. I think they are, they tend to be um, more, they're, they're coached and developed to be more patient and more sensitive to your schedule. How can I fit into what you're doing? Whereas I think women of color get offended if you don't respond right away, or if you can't get something on the schedule in the next two to four weeks, or if you can't, it's, it's a different level of expectation. I always say, and I say this about any mentorship relationship, it's a chemistry and, you know, just because you're a woman and I'm a woman, it doesn't mean that we're going to be friends for life, mm-hmm. right? We still have to develop actual authentic relationship. Um, and I think it's really important that we all work towards that. Um, I have that some of the most amazing mentors I've had in my life have been women of color because they are ride or die. Mm-hmm. They show up and they are a hundred grand. Um, and I think that that again, we have our own shorthand. We have our own um, ability to kind of establish that relationship closely. What I've had to really force myself to do is to push outside of women of color to develop relationships with other 
mentors and sponsors because they're going to have a totally different experience, a totally different um, lens on how the organization works or what happens in the organization. So I think it's just, um, it's just a question of like, if you're approaching a mentor, remember they're a person. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how else to say that, but remember they're a real live person. I had a woman call me once and she was like, Denise, I know I've been trying to get on your schedule for a couple of weeks and it, I can tell you're really busy. I see you're on the board of this organization and you guys are having an event next Saturday. I organized five of my friends and we're going to come be volunteers. I hope this takes a little bit of the load off of you. Mm. Wow. That was really like, thoughtful think, and strategic. You think I met with yeah, her? You of course think you I did. met with her? <laughs> I met of with course her. I did, right? How do you add value? Mm-hmm. How are you accretive? How do you bring something to the table? I call it baby bird syndrome. Don't just sit and wait for somebody else to feed you. What are you doing? An object in motion stays in motion. Mm-hmm. If you're in motion, I'm going to want to meet with you, right? So I think that it's really important that it's a really pro active effort when you're reaching out. You don't know what that woman is going through. She may be going through a divorce. One of her kids may be autistic. Mm -hmm. You don't know. And I think sometimes people take it personally when you can't just jump into this deep mentor relationship with them right away. That was one of the reasons I developed Watch Your Work because I want you to have all this information. And I literally have a waiting list of 400 women that are like, can I get on the site? How do I get filmed? Because they want to help. They don't have time to do it in the way that sometimes the mentees want that time. Mm-hmm. I know in, in your work, you're doing, in addition to the leadership and mentoring piece, you have this whole other side that brings in diversity and inclusion work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it see, it's, appears to me that with Watch Her Work, you're hitting some of the main issues around work and women. So diversity, inclusion, mentorship, leadership, these are all probably the, the common themes that most women have in common, right? What is, what, like diversity and inclusion is really interesting to me at this particular point in time, right? Because <laughs> there's so much happening in the world. How have you seen this work change recently? Whew, it has changed a lot. I actually am not, um, I am diversity 2.0. I am not a um, historian. I think a lot of diversity um, literature and measurement and conceptual thought leadership is about um, statistics and decks and reporting, defining the problem. Mm -hmm. I think we all know what the problem is. We all know that we make 13 cents and white guys make a million dollars. Like like we've heard all of these (laughs) stats ad infinitum. What are we going to do about it? Right. And I think we've come to the realization that we are um, because these are corporate initiatives often and they are, you know, they have dollars associated with them and you've got to have measurement and you've got to have ROI. We have forced our problem into measurable um, boxes Mm -hmm. and the problems don't fit. Mm. They don't fit. So we're measuring, we have five black people um, we recruited. That's why 98% of um, diversity inclusion software is recruitment, right? Because that's measurable. Oh, we got seven black people. We got three Chinese people. Yay. Like we're killing the game. That's not the problem. The problem is, are you, I'd like to say, are you um, really focusing on three dimensions? Are they here? Are they heard? And are they harnessed? 
it doesn't matter how many people you have in a room if you don't listen to them. Yeah. You think Barnes and Nobles listened to them when they changed all those covers to black people? No. <laughs> no. You think Gucci, when they did that sweater, they listened to them? No. You think that people make mistakes every day. And I'm just like, you had to have black people in your company that you could have run this by. Why didn't you? Because we're not listening to them. So I can, I don't care how many people are there. I don't care. You can have a hundred black police officers on your police force. Are people still getting shot by unarmed? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like, it doesn't matter. It's, it's all about the actual activity, the difference between diversity and inclusion. I don't really, sometimes I, I, I veer away from the term diversity because I want to say I'm an inclusion strategist. I'm a work futurist. How do we work together better? How do we get the best out of all of these um, wonderful people that we have in our organizations? And do we believe they're wonderful? Do you have to be like me to be valuable? Do you have to have the same background, the same education, the same, you know, look at our media. Um, our, our, look how slanted our news is one way or the other, mm -hmm. because it's defined by privilege. How many people are in our newsrooms that come from a low income background mm -hmm. that come from, a, you know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're not, they come from really eight schools. If you go through all the New York times, the Wall Street Journal, all of them, it's like eight to 10 schools and everybody comes from those environments. I want to hear somebody with a different perspective, with a different value. And that's not what we do. We tend to hire people that look like mm -hmm. us and went to the same schools and did the kind of same thing. So I think like one of the most exciting things that I'm doing right now is I'm um, being invited to speak to homogeneous environments, homogeneous audiences. Mm -hmm. So like an all male leadership team or an all white ad agency or, you know, groups where they're having trouble figuring out how to move, how to increase their diversity or really be inclusive. And we shut the door and we just have a real conversation. Walk me through it. What's hard about this? And try to excavate and hear what their feelings are. Because guess what? If we don't let them say it, we can't unpack it. Mm -hmm. We can't process it. We can't deal with it. And what we have right now, um, we have, you know, cancel culture. It is what it is. It's very hard to make a mistake mm -hmm. and, and get a chance to get that mistake fixed. So I try to create an environment where I'm really listening and um, I can impact that group and support them. You know, it's so funny. I don't know if um, your audience has heard of like Taylor, the little girl with the pink perfect attendance pencil. I don't know if you've seen no, this. No, I don't know YouTube. this. No. So this, so this sweet little black girl, she is edible. Like you eat, I could just eat her. She's <laughs> delicious. Her name is Taylor. And she has this video and her mom is, is filming her and she's explaining that her pink perfect attendance pencil was in the sharpening bucket, but Lizzie took it to use it and she wants her pencil back. <laughs> she went to Lizzie and said, Lizzie, that's my pencil. Lizzie told her, just get another pencil. It doesn't matter. Oh, no, no. It matters. That's my pencil. And you didn't get it because you went to Canada. It is hilarious. <laughs> it is the cutest little cover. It's so cute, right? And I was so struck by that. I was struck by it for a couple of reasons. Even at five years old, that little black girl has a musculature of self-advocacy. Mm -hmm. She already has the language and the energy of this is what's fair. This is what's right. This is what I should do. This is what I, you know, this is what we need to have happen. And she can speak up for herself. And I thought about so many white women that I interact with. They've never had to do that. They are in, they grow up in sheltered environments. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I moved through the world 
basically ready to speak up for myself, to push people back, to set a boundary, to ask for what I deserve. That's quite frankly, not their life experience. So I'm basically, you know, up here with these buff biceps Mm -hmm. and they don't have that skill set. And so they step out and they make a mistake and we eat them alive. And we need every one of those people to be allies to help move these discussions forward. So when I talk about diversity, I really boil it all the way down to how do we create an environment that we actually listen to everybody, respect where people are, and move people along? Where the goal is, you know what, next week we're going to be 10% than we were, better than we were this year, mm-hmm. this week. Next week we're going to be 15%. Like just move it along instead of up, down, in, out, black, white, in. Like we, it, it doesn't work. Sociological change is a process. Mm-hmm. It's not a light switch. Right. Um, so I love that work because I think it is the front line of the, of the battle. So then what does it, what does it look like to disrupt the current state of inclusivity in work, whether it be just the concept of it or the implementation at its current state? How do you disrupt that and get to 2.0? What is that? What's that work look like? It's, this work (laughs) and it's one person at a time Mm -hmm. and that's not sexy. No. Right. I can't scale that to death. I can't, you know, if if, um, a large company, Exxon, Facebook, all these companies, they want to do something. They're looking for, I spent $10 and I got this return. Right. I remember when I was at CBRE, I was the first black broker broker in six States, all top 10 companies, Mm -hmm. commercial real estate. When I was in that industry was one half of 1% any ethnic diversity. Right. So I'm sitting in a cube with five other guys and the EVP walks out and he invites all of them to lunch and leaves me sitting there. How do I measure that? Mm -hmm. What, what scorecard, what sheet are you going to put that on? Right. Like it's, I get it. I get the desire to measure it and define it, but I think it's really these thoughtful conversations. It's, you know, I think it's really funny that Starbucks closed all the stores. Stop. We're going to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. What are we doing? It's expensive. It's a commitment of let's, let's write, let's make sure we're on the right track and we're all clear about what we're doing here. That's a harder than let me buy some videos and throw them in here. Or let me send everybody through this one hour training. Oh, check the box. That was our return. Everybody was trained. Check. Yay. We mm-hmm. win. But you still have the same problems and you're still putting out this, these horrible decision-making practices. Like it takes work. It takes developing leaders, challenging their assumptions, really asking them harder questions. And we're so worried about offending that we we're being ineffective. Mm-hmm to be honest. So, you know, I really focus on the outcome and the the productivity of the environment. I have a fundamental belief that if you listen to women, they'll tell you, you know, this phone, uh, I can't hold it without a pop socket Mm -hmm. and it's going to fall all the time. And so I'm going to have a disproportionate percentage of claims than men. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't ask me, I can't tell you. But if you ask me, I will. So how do we harness those women? How do we harness those people of color? How do we harness that wisdom and make a better product? The truth of the matter is homogeneous groups make faster decisions and they're happier with them. Mm -hmm. They may be as wrong as they could be, Mm -hmm. 
but they're, they made them fast and they were happier with them. So diversity is by definition disruptive. You're going to get a better product, but it's going to be way more painful. And we don't want to, we're doing everything we can to avoid the pain Mm -hmm. and you can't get the baby without the labor. So I really think it's important to be honest about the pain of this process Mm -hmm. and factor that into the discussion, not make it like an afterthought. It's the process. It is not going to be as easy. It is going to be more challenging, but that's okay. That's how we're going to get the best possible product. How do you think you get people who have the power to change these things, to be willing to experience the pain, to have the conversations. I'll give you an example of something I experienced recently, fairly recently. I was, there was this conversation, this facilitated conversation happening um, where I live in Denver around diversity and inclusivity in the media. And this event was happening, didn't know anything about it. A friend called me and was like, do you happen to be free at the end of this week to go to this event? Because there's no, it's a conversation about diversity in the media and there's no diversity in the room. And can you please just come? And I was like, listen, I'll go, but I'm not going to be invited back because that's what always happens. Like I get a call, people are like, can you come? And then I go and then I say what I really think. And crickets, like I never hear from them again. And she was like, probably. Like, I can't even <laughs> deny it. And, and the person that called me was like not involved in, in the creation of this event. It was just like, listen, somebody just called me and told me this is happening and I need to get you into this room. Right. And I was like, yes, I will get into the room. So we get there, look around the room. There's me and like, three other people in a room of like 50 or 60 people that are that represent people of color and they're like yes the big problem we have is like if you look around the room look at the percentage of of people of color here that are representing some of the biggest media outlets and you know influencers in media in this entire state and we can see the disparity and that was literally the only mention of <laughs> of you know race ethnicity in this diversity conversation the whole conversation very quickly turned to well how do we diversify our audience and like what's the content and I was like it's wait 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 wait." (laughs) and I kept bringing it back did I miss a section of this discussion I was like did I come to the wrong meeting because Mm -hmm. so and I was like these people are literally like they're quaking in their seats they will do anything to avoid this conversation. And that's why I was asked to be here. But the labor that someone like me has to do in that space that was not actually created to have a real conversation to begin with, right? right? It was was created to check a box of measurement. Right, a box of measurement. We did our diversity initiative. So I'm always like, well... I have to show up and do a lot of emotional labor, intellectual labor in a space like this that, by the way, I'm not going to get compensated for. But Mm -hmm. I think it's important, so I'll do my best, right? Which is what people of color are doing all over the place around these issues. But I cannot make any of these people step outside of their tiny little comfort zones. And so this becomes a act of just... It's, there's no value here. 
Absolutely. And self-flagellation, right? right? You're putting yourself in a space that your spirit's challenged and broken and harmed really, because I'm trying to give you what you need and you're just rejecting it. Mm -hmm. Right. And quite frankly, I'm paid to come in and have these conversations. And that's one of the, the main reasons I tell people to pay me to come. You cannot put this responsibility on your employees. You're pulling people up from the mailroom. So what should we do, Terrence, about racism here at the company? <laughs> like he's not in a position to influence right. it. So I come toe to toe. I'm a CEO. I'm a leader. I've been an executive in all these rooms. Like you're not telling me something I don't know. I've sat where you are. What's the problem? What's the issue? And I think um, it's a space where we have to we have to like invest people invest in people who have the capability to meet people toe to toe mm-hmm. and have that influence in the situation. It is emotionally taxing. I don't want to carry the emotional burden of responsibility for you guys accepting me, mm-hmm. right? That's a, that's a inappropriate ask of your employee base. Um, so that's why I do this work with these groups because I get to say that I get to say like, what are, what's your listening mechanism? You explain it to me because mm-hmm. I'm an executive too. So walk me through it. Mm-hmm. Like you, we know how to do it in every other way. You think a newspaper doesn't know how to listen to its readers? <laughs> of course it does, right? So it's like, walk me through why you're not doing that here, mm-hmm. right? And I think um, there is something about meeting people kind of toe to toe. But I also think that we have to sometimes be coached as to how to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. I know we do sometimes come in guns blazing without understanding. Listen, the room is at a three. Sis, I know you're at a nine, <laughs> but I need you to roll it down to at least a four so that they can receive what you're saying. Like right. sometimes the goal is to vent anger and sometimes the goal is to change behavior. Mm-hmm. And we got to choose which one we're going to do, right? I, I don't get to be... Um, loud and screaming. Sometimes I'm in these sessions and these folks say the craziest things you've ever heard. And I really work to just keep a flat, flat affect. And you know what happens? Other white people in the room, other men in the room say, well, wait a minute, that's kind of problematic, don't you think? And that's what needs to happen because I'm not going to be there next week. Right. We have to create a culture of them correcting each other, of speaking to each other, of challenging each other, mm-hmm. of challenging like these fundamental processes they've been doing all their lives. Mm-hmm. We are unringing a bell. You know how hard it is to unring a bell? Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's so I think there's a part to play for everyone in this in the in the moving forward and moving this towards future orientation. Mm-hmm. I remember I was talking to um uh, you know, I live in Houston and Houston is a majority minority city. Mm-hmm. Um, so large Hispanic population, large black population. And sometimes those two communities, they battle. Right. And it was so interesting to me because um, the, this Hispanic person was saying, yes, with the black community, it's so loud. It's so aggressive. They're always complaining. There's always something wrong. And I said, yeah. And then we win those battles. And y'all sail right in and take the contracts. You sail right in and take the benefits of those efforts Mm -hmm. of that, you know. And I think that it's like, why don't we learn from each other? Why don't we work together? Why don't we create solidarity instead of tearing each other down? Mm -hmm. That's not a black-white issue, right? Like, I think that there's so much room for improving how we relate to each other, period. And that's where I want to focus, you know, that's the focus of my life for the next however many decades I have Mm -hmm. left. It's just making sure we're talking to people 
and moving the needle. I don't want to talk just to hear myself talk. Yeah. I get invited to be on a lot of TV shows, a lot of news programs and punditry. And that's cool. I get why people do it, but I'm not doing it just to be on the phone arguing with you. If I'm doing it, it's because we're trying to come to some common ground. So if you're looking for somebody to crack their neck and curse and lose their temper, that's not me. I never want to react. I always want to respond Mm -hmm. and maintain control of that situation. And I think that's the, we need to be teaching that more and more um, to folks that are stepping into these conflicts. So for you and your work with Watch Her Work, how do you know that you are achieving those ends? My favorite measurement, I got one favorite measurement, the person that watches one video 15 times, Mm. 17 times, like that makes me so happy. The person that sits and they watch every single video in the pregnancy category. Because I know that person really needed me. Mm -hmm. They needed that information. And that's why I did it. That's why I didn't put it behind a paywall. I made it free, open access. Just come get it. Just come get it. Because when you need it and you don't know what to do, there is just nothing more valuable. And that's what I want. I want people to utilize it. I want people to send in their content. Hey, if you solved a problem at work, you had a situation and it would benefit other women, Bop out that iPhone, film yourself and send it in to us. And if it meets editorial standards, we'll put it on the site, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I have my job is to curate female brilliance. That's what I do. That's what I do on this podcast. Just <laughs> <laughs> share those stories and those experiences. Mm-hmm. That's how I know that I'm winning. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not a dollar amount. It's not a, it's the fact that I'm touching women. I get these amazing letters. I'm going through a divorce and I could barely get out of bed. And I listened to Kathy's video and it gave me the strength to carry on and get my work done. Like, you know what I mean? Like those messages mean everything to me because it says that we reach somebody where they needed it. Um, and I think so many women are burned out. They're stressed out. They're burning it at both ends. Mm-hmm. And any way that we can support women, I'm here for it. I love it. Denise, how can our audience learn more about you and your work and connect with you? Um, watchherwork.com. Join the mailing list, follow us, check out our videos and comment. Give me some feedback. If there's topics you don't see on there that you really think should be there, send it to me. We'll, we'll turn on a camera and we'll get somebody to answer those questions um, and share it with other people, you know, so that people know that this resource is available because again, that's why we made it free and mm-hmm. we can hide it behind a paywall. Um, obviously you can follow me on all the social media platforms at Watch Her Work TV and official D ham official like Denise Hamilton official D <laughs> um I know it's a throw uh, I'm from Brooklyn I'm from Brooklyn <laughs> I'm from Brooklyn son like you gotta do what you gotta do so at official D ham and at watch our work tv um and just keep up and send a note like let us know how we're doing let us know if we're touching your lives in the way that we want. Mm-hmm. I love it. Denise, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I love what you're doing. Folks, definitely go to watchherwork.com. I was snooping around on the website for the past week and there's a ton, a ton of useful information. I watched some of those videos and I was like, huh, okay, Denise, okay to watch her work. I see you. I see what you're doing. I like it. <laughs> so. So thank you for all that you're doing it again. Thank you for joining us here and sharing your brilliance with our audience.
Thank you so much for having me. All right, folks, we are going to call it good right here. I think we have some food for thought in what Denise is doing and a great free resource for you to expand your leadership, your mentorship, and grow in your career. So go check that out. In the meantime, it's season five, baby. We're doing this thing. We're doing it. (laughs) and It's growing. And as usual, I want to thank you, my listeners, my audience, for coming back year after year, for giving input, for telling me what you want and giving me an opportunity to serve you. So thank you for joining us. Have a great week. We will catch up with you next week. In the meantime, we out.